<sighs> Star Wars. The uh, oh, yeah, I should, surprise. I should show you. I the never would have guessed. Show you Speaking the, uh, of which, did everybody know about this new Star Wars movie but me? Seriously, how did you miss that in theaters? No, 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 no. Oh, I mean, Rogue One. The new one coming out in December. I had no idea. Oh yeah, Rogue surprised. One's been in the rumor yes. pipeline for a long time now. Well, for oh, a year and a half. My gosh, I was just amazed. Is are those the Bothans? No, those are not the Bothans. And this is this is a point that's actually been making the rounds on Twitter. Okay, the second Death Star's plans were stolen by the Bothans. Many Bothans died. The, I thought that was in the first one. No, that's in Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was the so second Death Star plan. This is the first Death with, Star. So this movie will end with the information getting onto Princess Leia's ship. I could see it ending, yeah, on Tantive Four. Right. She'll she'll get the plans. Yep. Welcome back to another episode of Spam, 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 Humbug. This is episode 40, and we are continuing with the topic from last time, the aging gamer. As always, a big hearty thank you to our Patreon co-producers, Seth, Johnny, Dominic, Chris, Violation, Adam, Eric, Thorwan, Cody, Pascal, and Neil. And also have uh, a few new followers to... uh, to, to say hello to so on podbean we have the final cut movie blog ash stam 1993 and farm game society we also welcome several new ultima dragons on facebook including david johan frank marcus tony todd and david and there are actually a couple of new ultima dragons registered on udic.org so we have norvegicus dragon or norvegicus dragon i don't even see names and Truthveyor Dragon. So, welcome and splut to all. Splut, it's the traditional greeting of the ultimate dragons. It's the sound of a pie hitting you in the face. All right, so, who is all on deck tonight? Well, of course, you've got myself with Stan the Fury Dragon. I am the editor of the Ultima Codex and the co-founder of that site, uh, the founder of Ultima Iera before that. I do a handful of other things around the internet even more things IRL, but you probably know me from the Codex. We are also joined tonight by Gradia Dragon. Hey there, how's everyone tonight? And we have Linguistic Dragon with us again. Hello, hello. Also joining us is Mr. Boolean Dragon. Hello, everybody. How's it going? And, surprise guest... We also have Joe Garrity with us. Greetings. Coming at you from the Origin Museum. So, last time, what did we talk about? Well, we talked about the fact that we're getting older. And we talked about how games have changed uh, from... And not just games themselves, but how we consume them. You know, we don't, uh, at least certainly this is true for me, don't necessarily have time to consume those games that have 100-hour stories. Sometimes it's just nice when a game only needs 20 hours of your time. It means you might actually pass it this year. Not that, anyways. Um, but, you know, there's also been changes in the gaming industry as well, Um Some features have gone away in games that, you know, we knew and loved from, say, the early 90s. Some of these features have started to reappear. You know, we mentioned that open world had kind of become the big buzzword these days. Um, Even Legend of Zelda has gone completely open world or will with its newest incarnation. And actually, even just today, I tripped over a, a list, a listicle, I believe they're called, Somewhere, I can't even remember the site, and I wasn't terribly impressed by it, but it was 25 open-world Android games. Um, 
most of which I was already aware of, and some of which weren't actually open world at all. As much as I love Galaxy on Fire, I do have to say it is a level-based game. But be that as it may, open world seems to kind of be the buzzword. I'm waiting for um, a couple more years when, you know, GTA 7 rolls around and you can open a bakery. And Kotaku will just be gushing over how new it is, and we'll all be like, yeah, it's good to see that back. Again. Yeah. <laughs> but. All over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we talked a little bit, too, about Richard Garriott's um, thesis that, you know, really, it's not actually surprising that this sort of stuff happens. Uh, his thesis, and I think Bill Randolph echoed this as well, now that I think about it, uh, was that, you know, Every time there's a, a leap forward in gaming technology, there's kind of a big leap backward in terms of the number of features that are crammed into games built with the new technology. Uh, so, you know, with the advent of 3D, well, we're very used to seeing 3D games that have depressingly static worlds. Um, and it's only been recently that uh, we've started to see more dynamism uh, more dynamic elements, more interactable elements coming back into 3D games, even 3D RPGs. Um, I imagine if VR sticks around this time, that we're going to see something very similar. The initial VR games are going to be kind of pretty and little else. And then as the technology matures and as people get better developing with it, um, we'll see more and more ability to pick up and interact with stuff or um, larger worlds to explore, things like that. Um, but who knows? I mean, 3D does kind of piggyback, or sorry, VR does kind of piggyback on what 3D is already doing. So maybe this time around we'll get lucky and we'll get to skip some of that awkward, long waiting period. Where it could uh, completely fail as it has in the past. Well, there's that too. But anyways, so that was last time. Today, <laughs> excuse me, today wanted to talk about a couple of sort of continuing the discussion of trends in the gaming industry and getting away from, you know, uh, features that it's nice to see come back and into features that it's not so necessarily nice to see, like freemium right? Um, freemium is, it's everywhere now, I mean, especially in mobile games, but you see it in desktop games too. I mean, how many MMOs have gone free to play? Indeed, uh, I mean, we could probably have a completely separate discussion on the whole freemium mobile connection. Um, oh gosh, we could have a whole discussion or gripe session about how the freemium aspects of Ultima Forever probably, uh, probably contributed to its downfall. I'm pretty and, sure we did in the Ultima Forever episode we did. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, even then, I feel that we only barely scratched the surface on that. Like, it was just so epically disappointing. And yeah. it robbed us of an Ultima game. And actually, a darn good mobile RPG as well. Um, not that I'm still bitter about the Kim Kardashian game being classified as an RPG, but I am. No, uh, no, of course not. No, no. Except that I am. Very much. Burn them. <laughs> and now there's a Britney Spears game in the same oh, game. Okay. It's just like, oh my god. Ah. Seriously, this is why we can't have uh, nice RPGs. Nice there's an issue that I think is, uh, the term RPG is not uh, it's not properly defined. Well, there's that too. And we could do a whole episode on that too. Yeah, I'm studiously <laughs> avoiding that topic. Well, Ken, have you actually played the Kim Kardashian game? Uh, no. Neither have I. What I was about to say, I sure hope that's not... <laughs> what if it's good? We don't know. Well, I know it makes a lot of money. But then so does Candy Crush Saga. And it, could be, it, could be, it could be an excellent RPG. It's just, you know, the problem is they basically chose, you know, the wrong theme or the wrong skin for it, if you yeah. will. It, mechanically, it could be excellent. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it is. Kind of go hand in hand, don't they? I maybe. I, well, you know, though that was kind of 
<clears throat> that actually relates to, oh, I guess I should say for the audience's sake, I'm really, really happy today, uh, which is probably why I'm talking a little bit faster, because I got home to find that the board games had arrived. So the nice professionally printed board games uh, were nice professionally printed versions of the board games that my Beaver Scouts had designed. Um, they all arrived today. So I've got them, you know, right here. And it's really, really cool to see them all here. They look great. Boardgamesmaker.com. Yes, that was the website. Really, really good. Um, and it worked out to about 40 bucks a box. So pretty happy with the overall pricing. But uh, where was I going with this? Right. I think in one of the previous times that I mentioned these, you know, I did mention that uh, when we had our guests in helping us with sort of the initial design work on the games or getting the kids into a frame of mind to design these games well, one of the things they mentioned was that, you know, well, I mean, the first thing they encouraged was that theme should be picked first. And they were right about that because once we had theme, everything else just fell into place mechanically and just in every other respect. But the one point they made was that if you think about it, I mean, there's a lot of games that are really just the same game with a little bit of a different theme. Like Sorry is basically a simplified version of Parcheesi. Trouble is basically Sorry. Uh, you know, Candyland is basically shoots and ladders without the shoots or ladders. Uh, it just kind of goes on from there. So, you know, you might be right. Like in some senses, mechanically, the Kim Kardashian game could actually be an excellent RPG. I don't know. I'm leery of trying it out, but I might have to just to be sure. And in that case, it would just be a very poorly chosen theme that is my gripe. But then again, maybe that's just my gripe. I mean, the fact that it makes enough money a month for, I think Kim actually paid off Kanye's like 50 odd million dollar debt with her net profits from the game. So, Ooh, boy. yeah. Um, but then again, I mean, that's the thing. That's kind of the thing, the annoying thing about freemium is that when a game, a freemium game really takes off, like it makes money hand over fist, like Supercell, Clash of Clans developer, were making north of 50 million a day at one Good point. Good grief. Yeah. From a game that's ostensibly free. So, uh, and I mean, it's so, no what accident. Are, what are, so what are people buying? Hats? Well, uh, it really depends, right? Like it, it depends on the game. It depends on, um, yeah, what the in-game items are. A lot of freemium games, and actually this is kind of the tangential point that I wanted to jump into, but now it's become not so tangential at all. A lot of freemium <laughs> games. Of the podcast. Yep, definitely. Reasonable and prudent deviations from topic, right? A lot of freemium games ultimately make use of time as the way that they limit how the free players experience or progress in the game, okay? And this is actually even true in like MMOs, um, Star Wars The Old Republic. Free players don't get access to some gear, yeah, sure. But more importantly, they're held back in terms of how quickly they gain experience and thus level up, which in turn limits the rate at which they can experience the stories in the game. So... Now, happily in the Old Republic, it's actually not terribly egregious. It's actually really quite balanced, doesn't interrupt your pacing. But in some mobile games, it's almost agonizing, just terrible, and deliberately so. Uh, I'm, that was one of the biggest criticisms of that mobile Dungeon Keeper game that came out a while ago. Building anything in the game took a long time. Like even a one by one section of wall would take an hour or, or like eight hours for the really high end stuff. Um, other games like a lot of match three titles, uh, so like Candy Crush, for example, or Frozen Freefall, give you, you know, X amount of lives or crystals or energy points as a free player. And if you lose a level, these get consumed. Okay. So, um, sometimes, uh, Neverwinter, the MMO Neverwinter is a reasonably decent example here 
the freemium stuff is really just cosmetic. It's just, uh, yeah, I want this nicer looking suit of armor. And even, and, and even then, like it's purely cosmetic. It's not that you're necessarily buying, you know, the Uber elite armor that will win you the game. No, 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 no. What you are buying is a costume. So, um, this is also true in the old Republic, you know, like you have your armor slot and then you also have separate from that, a costume slot. So you can be wearing this big bulky armor that protects you very, very well, but your costume is something rather sleeker and more aesthetically appealing, right? So uh, the costume doesn't contribute to the performance of your armor. It just makes you look different. So some games, yeah, it's just the purely cosmetic stuff, but a lot of games really just productize time and i think it says something interesting about uh, oh sorry warframe there what you do with real money is actually save time yes for example you can play all you want and you can go to different planets and kill stuff and obtain items and things and then you use those items for crafting and you can craft different stuff. You need blueprints for crafting stuff and you can, well, the using real money in the game gives you what is the platinum coins. Those platinum coins are for buying, for example, already crafted items, or for example, a completely crafted weapon, a completely crafted warframe, which are some sort of, uh, Androids, which you control, okay. you you get into the into the Warframe, control it like it as if it were your body. Okay, and that's that's the way it works. So you can buy a different a different bodies, uh, and instead of crafting them, and then you can uh, and when you can you get certain level of blueprints for different stuff that can be traded among players and the usual thing people trade with is platinum coins in other words they are using real money for trading so if you have uh, a rare blueprint and you offer it on the trading channel there will be lots of people offering you real money to to in exchange for that blueprint or that special part or item you have and the then you get that plat those platinum coins which are as i said they are real money and you use it to buy already crafted stuff from the market hmm. yeah I, th- I think whether or not the pl- the yeah pay yeah, to for, win strategy yeah, for example uh, the uh, uh, to craft the warframe you need to craft the helmet the chassis and the and the systems each of them takes 12 hours to craft but you can craft them all three in parallel and once you have them all three there's another blueprint which is to put them together that one takes three days to craft so you you spend almost four days crafting a warframe or you can just buy sell blueprints and get enough money to buy the craft the warframe already made and with uh with what's called an orokin reactor which doubles the amount of of mods you can put on the suit and nice. that, that mod costs 10 coins on the market or you can craft it on in 24 hours i think yeah i mean it was the same with like dungeon keeper from mobile you know it's like i want to build the really good walls that will really protect my dungeon i can have my imps work for um i don't even remember how many hours let's say eight or i can spend a gem and get it now and you can buy gems for, well, you can buy a small bag of gems for 99 cents or a huge cart full of gems for 99 bucks. And away you go. Yeah, I would say that like the main difference between a pay to win game um, where it's not, you know, these superficial items that don't affect 
gameplay it is really really reflects sort of the attitude or the mindset of the studio behind the game as to whether or not they are interested primarily interested in making a great game or primarily interested in making as much money as possible um, sort of like the sleaziness factor and i think it's actually comparable to a studio that will purposely clone you know as much as they can whatever the hottest game happens to be at the time they don't care about making a good game they just want to make as much money as possible and that's a really good sign as to what kind of studio they are yeah um i think too though it says and this was what i was going to say before um it says something interesting about our culture that games ostensibly free games are able to make millions of dollars sometimes per day selling people what are essentially just a means of shortcutting time delays you know convenience they're yeah people are buying time that's ultimately what's being monetized to the tune of millions of dollars a day in 99 cent transactions you know people are buying essentially their own impatience um, now we can argue about how, uh, ethical or skeezy it is to, uh, figure out a way to turn someone's impatient into a monetized product, but whatever the motives of the developers, um, whatever the ethics of the developers like as not, there's a real market there, you know, people will pay dearly to just wait a little less right and um then there will continue to be so um partly because a lot of gamers uh, with respect to game design are not terribly sophisticated i don't mean to insult gamers i'm just saying they're not game designers you know they just know what they feel they don't put that much thought into it and as such they do fall prey to mechanics like that designed to exploit them financially another example of this is uh, what's called a skinner box which is uh you can look that up on wikipedia um, anyway, it's it's the same psychological tactic that allows gambling to be so successful. In particular, uh, gambling games of like pure chance, such as a slot machine, where essentially you give you give the user, the player, a chance to interact with the game in some way, and then randomly, occasionally, something good will happen. And psychologist Skinner, in particular, did some experiments with this, which is why it's called the Skinner Box. Found that that's an extremely effective way to basically addict somebody to the process and keep them performing the action over and over. And uh, Zingo was fairly deep into this in their heyday and actually uh, employed like psychologists uh, with their studio to try to, you know, apply human psychology to maximizing their revenue. Yep. So that's kind of, I mean, if you can realize that and you can kind of like, I mean, I don't pay money for the old Republic. I just enjoy it and play it. Now I don't play it all that much, you know, a few hours here and there, uh, whenever my wife wants to hop in as well. And we just cruise, you know, we just play for free and that's fine. The, uh, the temptation's not really there to subscribe or even to buy cartel coins. Um, if you can realize what's at work there, you can usually, you know, step past it, right? Maybe by limiting how much time you spend in the game um, or, you know, by some other means. But yeah, if you're not thinking about it as much, if you're not um, sort of realizing uh, what's being sold to you with this free product, then yeah, I can see how it's very easy to, you know, fall into the trap. Oh, another 99 cents. Another 99 cents. Yep, in Soviet Russia, the game plays you. Yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, on the other hand, um, apart from, like, the additional content that is, like, Frozen Freefall um, keeps adding levels, but arguably, it was a complete game when it shipped. Um you know, it's not like uh, it's not like the first hundred levels are playable now, and you can see the next hundred, and they're just locked out until something. 
one trend that has not been terribly welcome in gaming, I don't think, is the advent of DLC. Um, not that expansions for games are anything new. Um, hello, Forge of Virtue. Hello, The Silver Seed. Silver you know, Seed. notable examples from within the Ultima series. And that was Good, 20 years goodbye, ago. Goodbye, Lost Mail. Yeah. Moment of silence. Thanks for dropping that, whoever that was. That's what um, I do. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, expansions for games, nothing new. Modern DLC, though, it's a little bit different. Now, to be fair, sometimes DLC actually makes for a genuinely enjoyable expansion to a game. Um, Kings of Amalur Reckoning uh, had two expansions, The Legend of Dead Kel, Teeth of Naros. They added a lot of neat new story content, some gorgeous artwork. Uh, you know, like they were, I was very satisfied by them. Um, so, you know, not all DLC is bad. There are worthwhile uh, expansions for the game that now arrive in the form of DLC. But sometimes DLC is trivial. Horse armor. <laughs> or it feels as though it should have been included in the base game to begin with. Um, notable example, the Prothean character for Mass Effect 3. More recently... Uh, oh, just real quick, it's my understanding that, uh, and I forget the specific example, hopefully someone will know this, but it was a big deal a while back that apparently there was some content that should have been included with the game that was in fact included with the game, but it was locked out until you bought it. In which DLC it was, on disc, yeah. Yeah. yeah now, I don't remember which game it was. But. Um, well, you know what? It's actually more common than you might think. Um, because, I mean, a lot of DLC is planned as the game is being developed. And in some cases, um, the complete content won't necessarily be there on disc, but some of the framework for it will be. Okay? So DLC on disc can take that form. It's basically, if you look... At You know, if you try and uh, crack into the game executable or the game data files, you'll find w the framework in place for the DLC to hook in. But some of some or most of the DLC content itself will be missing. In other cases, and I think actually this was the case with the Prothean character in Mass Effect 3, was that a substantial amount of the data for that DLC will actually be present in the base game at ship. And yeah, I mean, all the DLC purchase does is maybe um, patch some of that content because it's had some revision since the shipped game, you know, since the gold master was created um, or, you know, just like, yeah, unlock it or just like add one missing piece and now you can use it. And that's a lot more egregious, definitely, because then, yeah, it's like, well, you know, 95% of this DLC is already here. Like, why is this not part of the base game? Why am I paying seven bucks extra just to get something that was already there? Yeah, and the game's being patched all the time anyway to do the same sort of thing that it would do to all the missing content. So yeah. Like the DLC. I just remembered uh, something that a game which didn't feel complete and the DLC or the expansion never came out. It's not Knights of Legion from Origin System. Oh. <laughs> there were skills, there were weapon skills you could not train. There, there were lots of weapons which you would never advance, you would never get better at them, and there was nowhere to train them, but and there was a promise that there would be an expansion disc where, with scenarios and towns where you would be able to train them, but that never came out. Yeah, there was actually there was actually an extra bonus disc that came with uh, the Lost Veil that included that. <laughs> <laughs> First, I've heard of it, but you know what? You might as well say so because we're never going to see either of them. Name drop. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so yeah I mean DLC like on the one hand what used to just be called an expansion pack has now largely been folded into the realm of DLC 
Uh, it's really only notable holdouts like Blizzard for World of Warcraft who will still release expansions as opposed to, you know, just... Uh, even Ultima Online really has kind of gotten into the DLC mentality, except they use the term publish, right? But like even the latest expansion, Time of Legends, was published 92 and or no, well, 91 and then 92 added some more Time of Legends content and 93 is going to add even more. But it's just, you know, on the one hand, great, new expansion for the game. On the other hand, just another publish. So... See, on, on, on the one, I can I can understand it in the case of MMOs, because a little new content every so often, rather than a whole bunch of new content spaced out over larger chunks of time, yeah. it's probably a bit better for player retention. But when it comes Possibly. when it comes when it comes when it comes to uh, you know standalone games, it's, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me to uh, make a big deal about releasing some little tiny thing as opposed to you know what expansion expansions true expansions used to be yeah um so i mean it's nice when you know dlc like teeth of naros takes the form of a proper expansion um but that's not all the dlc has come to be synonymous with and maybe isn't even the majority case where DLC is concerned. So, it has to do with the economic model. True. Yeah. The for I, an example I I can give from from my job. Uh, we when Plant vs Zombies Garden Warfare was released, it was only for Xbox 360 and Xbox One, and there were no plans for PC, PS3, and PS4, and then the the game was a total success. And a few months after the release, we were informed that the, that that would be a release for PC, PS3, and PS4. Hmm. It does look like a fun game. Yeah, it is it's really funny. There's lots of weird stuff. <laughs> Yeah, like that's a little bit different, right? Because I mean, there it's more a case of where the developers just, you know, their initial expectation was that the game would do okay on a particular target platform. And then it turns out that it did really, really well. And there was a ton of demand for it elsewhere. And so, you know, the decisions made to port it. It's a little bit different. It was a matter of budget, mainly. Hmm. Well, yeah, because I mean, PVZ was developed on, you know, a Plants vs. Zombies budget and not a Battlefield 4 budget. So <laughs> it's, it's actually like a Battlefield game, but you're either a zombie or a plant. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think it does use the Frostbite engine, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm not into details with the game engine. I'm just, uh, I would just work on the back end. Fair enough. I just work here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, another yeah, quickly, thing that we see. Oh, sorry, Kevin. Quick, quickly, it'll be interesting to see how DLC and, and patches and things like that evolve because I, I think one way or another, whether or not either streaming audio and video to your device or whatnot, I think games are going to begin to be deployed using like software as a service model, mm-hmm. uh, where you know even even without physical media, like most games are released now. We basically download it from some sort of central app store or whatever. It's probably going to get to the point, you know, where you don't even have a local copy that you can have your way with and crack and reverse engineer. They're going to find some sort of delivery mechanism where the company essentially has as much control as possible over the distribution of the media to the the client devices. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects things like DLC. Well, to the best of my knowledge... Uh, Sony being the possible exception here, a lot of the major game producers aren't necessarily working on this. On the other hand, NVIDIA is. Um, NVIDIA is working on, like, I mean, you're talking about something that's basically like on live, but better and still around. Uh, NVIDIA is working on their version of on live. 
So, you know, the idea is that, yeah, rather than necessarily having to install the game on your computer, you just pay a subscription fee and you get access to this complete games library and you can run any game and it runs on their servers and it runs on their top of the line hardware uh, and streams down to you. And all you need is a really good high bandwidth connection and you're golden. One can see the appeal there. Um, although it is nice to sometimes, I mean, I'm still of the mindset that it's nice to have the physical game, even though I don't usually mess around with the data files anymore, but you know, play cable, pardon, reminds me of old play cable, but in this, in that case, you actually downloaded the game. Mm. Yeah, I know here it's more just, I mean, it's basically Netflix, but for games. Yeah, and to be fair, Netflix was, makes a lot of money. And Play Cable, you had several channels, uh, which a different game on them, and you downloaded them to the console and played them. That was for uh, in television back in the eighties. Oh, okay. Well, to be fair, there's still kind of something like that with um, Xbox Live and PlayStation Plus. You know, kind of a similar idea there. A little bit different, but. Yeah, and this kid was uh, was on demand. You downloaded the game. the The cable company would rotate the games every once in a while. So it's like the Netflix model almost, except that with Netflix you are streaming as opposed to um, downloading really a local copy. So yeah, that's pretty advanced for uh, the Intellivision. That's awesome. I didn't have that privilege. Yeah. I still have my MTV three. <laughs> and most of my games and it works yeah those games were uh, 8 kilobytes at most I think hmm. so you would you would tune the channel and stream 8 kilobytes to you, to the play cable module and then, then you would be able to play the game as if you had the cartridge until you turned off the console and then find some way to uh, to rip rip that 8K and dump it to some blank EEPROM and add it to yeah, it. <laughs> it was quite expensive, but it was done, and that's one of the things that ma that made the product uh, get discontinued. And then I think they hired the guys who managed to do that and <laughs> did a job making games. Well, you know, there's a long history in a lot of different industries of bringing on board the hackers, right? Um, all right, well, moving on. Another thing that we've seen, uh, and this, I kind of lumped this in with DLC, although it is a little bit different, um, but we've also seen the rise of early access. Um, I think in part due to, you know, how crowdfunding has uh, really helped shape the development of games, although not all games that are in some form of early access, whether on Steam or GOG, are or have been crowdfunded, right? Like there's just a lot of um, games that are being developed by indie studios with their own funding uh, that are also in this state. Now, as mentioned, it is a bit different than DLC, um, at least with early access, you're kind of expecting to step into a game that's broken or incomplete. Um, I mean, indeed, even like Star Long uh, was recently observing that, you know, this whole early access concept, which Shroud of the Avatar is part of, has kind of undermined the classical categories of alpha and beta as ways of describing the development stage of a game or the state of a development release of the game. Um, and in fact, Shroud has largely abandoned this terminology in its development updates. And I guess in a way it kind of makes sense because, you know, A, the game is always online. B, after July, that game is going to be persistent. They're doing their final server wipe and that's it. Um, but, you know, given the way Shroud of the Avatar evolves between each monthly release, it really is difficult to tell at what point... Uh, at which it'll move from being in a pre-alpha state to being in an alpha state, and then again in a beta state. Um, even the version 1.0 release will be a bit nebulously defined, since it's not like work will stop. The monthly release cycle probably won't even be interrupted. So, you know, we're kind of 
with the early access concept, we're seeing an upending of this idea that's been around for a darn long time of, you know, well, that game's in alpha or, you know, here's a beta demo of the game or, you know, well, now here's the final release of the game. Well, those lines have blurred a lot, at least for games that fall into this development category. Well, I, well, I think there's a lot of benefits to that and that the, the uh, you know, the players or potential players funding something as it's being developed, you know, get it in inside the studio behind the scenes look that was never possible before you know back in the day they're like oh trade secret you know you can't be here we don't want the competition to find out what we're doing and steal our ideas um you know so you you get this if you're interested enough in the project this amazing behind the scenes look but you know one of the one of the problems with it is you know the the players the people funding it before it's even done and it may never be done but they have everything to lose and the developers have everything to gain because the developers, unless they're terribly passionate about the project, it doesn't really affect them that much if it fails because they're getting paid the entire time and they're gonna move on with some other company and keep getting paid, you know, leaving a broken, unfinished game potentially in their wake and leaving these early adopters, uh, these crowdfunders, you know, hanging out to dry. Uh, with nothing but at best a broken game that will no longer be maintained. Right. So I yeah. think that that's probably the biggest issue with it. I have a, a little different point of view in that regard. There was a game I can't remember the name, but I was looking at looking for anything similar to Star Citizen and found a game about uh, about exploring planets and walking on different planets and you could travel they were procedurally generated as you're talking about no I, man's sky uh, i don't remember the name but i saw lots of complaints from from the early access players that that there were some some people exploiting bugs and that uh, that no one was punishing them and that kind of stuff and and I show I showed the game to a friend, and he and he said, "Well, I don't care about that game because look at all those complaints." And I told him, "It's not a finished game. They don't have they have they don't have any paid staff to policing the players." And okay, that's, that's not perfectly no normal, and they are exploiting bugs in the game, which is exactly what the developers want. It's not a finished game, and you have to get that into your head when you play it. Yep. And but a lot of people just don't get it, and they they are spill, spilling bad rap about the game because the because there are some people finding bugs, exploiting them, and being asses with other people, and they don't like it because. There's no paid personal punishing those guys. Well, that's the whole point of early access, I think. Yeah, I mean... Why is this game so get... buggy? It's not like it's an alpha or anything. <laughs> well, you know, we get the same complaints uh, about Shroud of the Avatar. Uh, much the same thing, right? And I mean, when you log in the game, there's like even a button that says, yes, I understand that I am entering a construction zone. You know, like they try and make it really explicit. Like this game is not done. It's pull out, pull not necessarily stable. The, uh... It's, um, you know, your experience of this game could in fact be problematic. Um, and people still fret about this all the time. And I mean, again, same things that you're talking about, uh, good idea. You know, like there's people who find bugs and they just kind of export uh, exploit them. Uh, gold duping is a big problem or has been with some releases. I mean, it doesn't really matter because server wipes still happen fairly frequently. And then people all get like up and I was like, oh my gosh, I had like 5 million gold. And I'm just like, yeah, what was that bug you didn't report exactly? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, on the other hand, I mean, Portalarium have made good use of that. They have some really good analytics uh, software that they use. So they're very good at, you know, identifying when this stuff happens. And you know, it's like, okay, yeah, okay, we got a bug here happening. Um, well, let's close that and, you know, away you go. So it's, yeah, I mean, 
players are getting up in arms about it. Rightly so. I mean, you know, even in early access, a guy who's egregiously cheating is going to ruin, for some people, their experience of the game. But uh, at the same time, that is in some ways helping the developer because, oh, hey, thanks for finding that bug. We'll deal with that uh, when we get a moment. So... Anyway, uh, I'm looking at the recording and seeing that we've again hit the hour mark in seemingly no time whatsoever. Ready? Good grief. I know, right? Um, Life is short. It is. <laughs> it is. And these episodes need not be too, too long. Um, so I'm going to call it there. But Joe, in particular, I hope you can come back uh, next time because we'll be talking a little bit about the EFF again. Um and then also we'll be talking about that other task of at least, uh, well, you know what? Not even those of us who are older with kids, but you know what? Those of us who are older gamers who have nieces, nephews, younger cousins, uh, that is passing yes. on games to the next generation. So that will be, I think, in episode 41. But for now... If you like Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug, please do leave us a review on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or anywhere else you listen to us. And I hope to add SoundCloud to that uh, battery of options soon. More important than that, however, is make sure you subscribe to the podcast, um, especially on iTunes. So uh, even if you subscribe to us using some other better tech like Pocket Casts, uh, consider subscribing in iTunes or the Podcasts app as well. There's also the Ultima Codex Patreon, so a $1 pledge will get you access to the episodes the day before they go live on the Codex. Uh, I think it's a $5 pledge that gets your name in the opening tagline there. Um, but if that's not your thing, if the recurring monthly payment stuff isn't your thing, you can also support us by visiting GOG, uh, or rather by visiting the Codex, clicking on the GOG banner, and then going about your business at GOG. There are Ultima Dragons groups on Facebook and Google+. Uh, please do consider joining one of these. Um, there's also the underused UDIC hashtag on Twitter, and there's also now at Ultima Dragons. Please do follow uh, them on, the, on that particular social media service because it's really cool that there's, you know, like an official Ultima Dragons or official unofficial Ultima Dragons Twitter account. <laughs> Finally... Um, oh, wait, sorry, missed one. Um, there is a Facebook page for the Ultima series. You can, uh, like that. You can follow the Ultima Codex on Twitter. Um, I think the Google Plus profile is still active, but not for much longer. Um, but you know what? Even more than that, uh, if you see any content posted on the Ultima Dragons Twitter feed or on the Ultima Codex itself, um, or, you know what, anywhere else you happen to find it, if you find, you know, good Ultima-related content, share it on your social media profile of choice. Um, because, you know what, it's just good to publicize that stuff. It really is. And finally, if you'd like to recommend anyone for a shout-out, send us an email, ultimacodex at gmail.com. And you can also use that to offer suggestions or comments or criticism. Um, or even to volunteer your time as an occasional or regular contributor to podcast sessions. All right. So where can you find us all online? Well, of course, I'm on Twitter, WTF underscore dragon. Uh, I'm on Facebook, obviously at ultimacodex.com as well. And I also have an about.me uh, landing page. You can find me on those things and there's contact information for me. Kevin, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at 8virtues.com. You can find me on Facebook under 8virtues or 8, the number 8V radio, or on Twitter at 8virtues, or on YouTube at VosCorpBetMoney. And Jordan, you keep telling me you're going to correct me on my apparently terrible pronunciation of uh, the words of power from Ultima 6, but... Uh, Feel free to, whenever you're ready. But yeah, Voss Corp Bet Mani on YouTube. We'll do a special episode days, about that. One of these days I'll school you all on the proper Gargish accent. There, you uh, go. there we go. Um, well, linguistics, since you're talking, where do we find you? 
Uh, you can find me at ultimatejourneys.blogspot.com. You can find me hanging around the uh, Ultimate Dragons Facebook page if you really want to draw me out there, start talking Gargish. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter as Dragon Ketea, K-E-T-E-A. What if I start talking in the tongue of the lizard men? That might do it, too. Okay. What's for your click? Good idea. Where do you hide online? Usually on Facebook. Chengdong Gradilla. And if you are cheating or doing bad stuff and EA games, then it's more likely that I will find you. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. He's all there. There be dragons. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This, this anti-cheating system is dragon powered. Yeah. They used to call us the yay ninjas on on, on Twitch and love when people, uh, because usually it's forbidden to stream the beta games. Oh, there were lots of beta, beta streamers and we were, we were banning them. (laughs) (laughs) oh the EA ninjas got you (laughs) well there you go and finally Joe um, where can we find you I am usually lurking in Facebook I hang out with the big box PC gamers group and I also have a YouTube channel that I don't know the name of it might be origin museum I'm not really sure yes it is uh I, I just started it, and uh, I'm I'm still having a good time setting up uh, some some amateur video to do some digital preservation. Yes, indeed, and I'll also throw in a uh, I'll also throw in a link in the show notes to his very ancient Origin Museum Flickr profile. Oh yeah, yeah. You haven't deactivated that one yet. Well, we're in the old gamers uh, podcast, right? So get off my lawn. <laughs> he's shaking uh, his cane at us in case you can't see that there you go there you go wait <laughs> a cane today with their you're not, hair you're and not their shaking and they're more than 256 colors <laughs> 256 good gosh i can only count to 16 <laughs> <laughs> if i can't paint it in the original paintbrush it doesn't exist um, you sure you're shaking a cane and not, uh, the crown prince's claw? That was a Wing Commander 3 joke, but I guess nobody got it. <laughs> or everyone's <laughs> muted. One of the two. <laughs> no, I figure, I figure Joe has a prosthetic claw somewhere in his, uh, basement dungeon. There's a whole lot of museum. things. Not just any claw. The claw that killed Blair. And not just prosthetic. It was the same claw in every scene, Okay. Who cares? It killed Mark Hamill. (laughs) Or Mark. Anyways, this has been a good one. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week to finish up this topic. But until then, and until next time, be virtuous. Virtuous.